Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Boise, Idaho. I'm reminded before I introduce my next guest to a story that happened when I was in Houston, Texas, working for Newsweek. And there was an opera in Houston. It was Houston Opera Company. And they'd run out of money. And they went to the mayor of Houston, a guy named Louis Welch, and they, who's an independently wealthy man. And they said, Mayor Welch, we have a problem because we're out of money. And if we don't raise... $200,000 in the next three weeks, we have to close and we won't have a season. And you're our last best hope. Would you donate the money? 
And he sat there for and says, well, I'll give you the money on one condition. I said, what's that? He says, I don't have to go. <laughs> well, he gave him the money. He didn't have to go, and they, they're still going strong. And what else is going strong here in Idaho <laughs> is Ballet Idaho. And the artistic director here, Peter Anastas, is joining me now. Hello, Peter. Hi, Peter. Nice to meet you. I don't have to go. <laughs> we have some of those here, too. I, I, yeah, but you know what? You're a young company. So you know when, yep. you, when you hear Idaho, you don't necessarily think... Shakespeare, you don't necessarily think ballet, but here it is. No, here it is. Well, Boise is an interesting place. You know, it's the second most remote capital in the United States. So Explain that. It's Anchorage, I think, is the most remote ca- or is, That's not the capital. What's the capital? No, Juneau. Juneau is the most remote capital in the United States. In other words, so far away from another big city. Boise is the second most remote capital in the United States. So we sort of have to, I mean, I'm a transplant here from New York. I moved here seven years ago. Because you wanted to go to the most remote capital in the United States? (laughs) No, I wanted to go to the second most remote. Are you a fugitive from justice? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so Never find me there. (laughs) Well, that's true. Uh, No, that's northern Idaho. They'll never find you. Um, (laughs) And so uh, we have to make it all ourselves here. That's kind of what I think is interesting about our audience. And uh, we've uh, gathered dancers from all over the country who want to work in our company. It's a beautiful city. It's a great place to live, great people, everything else. But we have to create everything ourselves. You can't just jump in the train and go to New York or Boston or Washington to see something you want to see. And not only that, if an artist wants to be here, it's because they really want to be here. They really want to be here. And what's encouraging is I've hired, you know, I have a ballet company. So most of them are late teens into their 20s and up, up. And they're happy here. If they're happy here, it's more than just a retirement place. And is Peter happy here? Peter's very, very happy here. Peter never thought he would leave New York, but the time came. You know, yeah. some, sometimes people. Now here's the key: Did you keep your apartment? <laughs> no, I, no, I sold it for a very pretty penny. Okay, good. It's all timing, you know. That. Yes, it's all timing, and I bought a great house here. So what's special about the ballet here that you're not going to find anywhere else? Well, we do an international repertoire, so it's not completely different. But what's a little bit unique is probably me. You know, I started as a comedian. I had a funny ballet company called the Trocadero Ballet, which you may or may not have heard of. I have heard and, of it, yeah. And so uh, when I came here, I started doing a lot of funny ballets. And we don't do that so much anymore, but we still have humor. See, my idea of a funny ballet would be like the Nutcracker on acid. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. But, yeah, different kind of holiday spirit, you know. Are you free next December? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not available. No, sorry. <laughs> um, so part of it is that my we... plie results in orthopedic surgery. You understand that, okay? Okay, fine. Yes, um, we have someone on staff for you. Oh, so uh, I, we've made a lot more friends, actually, for the ballet here by making people laugh. You make more friends through laughter than tears. Sorry, Mark. Um, so. Uh, I think that uh, what happened is the ballet company got very popular in Boise. People who never, ever would have dreamed of coming to the ballet come to see us because we're fun and we're funny. Not everything's funny, but it's very beautiful and we have great dancers. And you do the Nutcracker. Come on, you do. Who doesn't? Okay, yeah, right. You have to. It's it's everybody's cash cow. It is, right? Absolutely. you have special guest appearances? Are you available next December? Uh, to be one of the toy soldiers? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we have, we, sometimes we have guest artists. We still can't get the mayor to come on stage, but we've had some others come on stage. What's the biggest surprise to you about Boise as the transplanted New Yorker? Um, the sophistication is fairly high. People here travel. They shop in New York. They shop in Paris. They go to they go to the they go to Asia. They do all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's not an isolated community. Uh, people fly in and out of here all the time, and so they bring the world back with them. Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go. Uh, joining me now, Amy Pence-Brown from the Preservation Idaho folks. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So you heard my introduction. I mean, I, you know, when you land at the airport here, you know, people who've never been to Boise, well, how far is downtown? Oh, five minutes. You know, and then there you, and you come right down. There's the state capitol. It, you, pass the, you, you pass Boise State, right? Um, and 
I'm, I might as well be back in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a city that is also voted every year one of the most livable cities, a great place to raise kids, a great place to retire. You have the same, you have the same qualities here. Right. We're lucky. We're lucky that way. And it's funny that you mentioned that sort of grand entrance to the city from the airport because that was a very important part of our historic city planning, that um, grand uh, entrance from Vista Avenue and Capitol Avenue coming down and seeing the state capitol building and passing Boise State along the way. But you're, uh, I'm shocked to hear that there was actually any planning at all because when you think about it, most cities, you know, nobody other than maybe Washington, D.C. with Lafayette and everything, this is interesting. How they have, who, who figured that one out? Well, even funnier that you should mention Washington, D.C., because that was sort of our our guide for that grand thoroughfare, Capitol Boulevard, in uh, the 1920s, the City Beautiful Movement uh, came about in sort of this planning of landscape architecture and street design and city design, uh, Washington, D.C. being the greatest example of that, and Boise as a capital city took note and uh, realigned the street, Capitol Boulevard, at the time, uh, the train depot was the main form of transportation. Of course. So that sort of sits at a halfway point between the capital and the airport now, which is now the main port, uh, port of transportation. Uh, but people would get off the train at our historic train depot and see down this grand avenue that was planned um, to the state capitol building, sort of making this um, grand um, entrance to a capital city, seeing a beautiful, probably our most important structure, and uh, what that means to us here. I have to ask the obvious question, what happened to the depot? Well, the depot um, was built in 1925, uh, of course, at the height of sort of passenger train travel, continued that way until the automobile became the more um, fashionable and easier mode of transportation. And by 1970, we had no more passenger trains coming in and out of the depot. Uh, it sat in disrepair for a long time uh, until Morrison Knudsen Company bought it, a large local company with a lot of money and a great um, thought behind their philanthropy, um, renovated it and gifted it to the city. Now it's a museum and great place to have weddings and a preservation hall. And now that's the one thing I wish they would have done in Madison, Wisconsin. That depot is still there, but not really being used for anything right now. It's too bad, but I'm yeah. glad you did that. Hey, tell me about the wintry market. Oh. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. go on. I, I knew you wanted me to ask that. <laughs> Wintry Market is another thing I do, besides being a, a preservationist and architectural historian for Preservation Idaho, I'm also an artist and an art historian, and I have worked as a curator. And Wintry Market is this um, annual arts and crafts holiday um, fair that I put on with a, my partner. Uh, once a year in November, downtown Boise, and we open it up to local Idaho makers and crafters, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Now, in Madison, I, I go back to the comparison. They've got an amazing farmer's market in Madison. I like to think it's probably the best in the country. They surround the state capital. We're back to the state capital idea. And, and the rule there, which I think is a, a rule that other farmer's markets should follow, is you can't actually have your stand there unless you, the farmer, are present. So that when you go to buy from somebody, you're actually talking to the guy who grew it or who made it, right? You, now, you have a farmer's market. We do. And we, uh, I, I believe they follow those similar principles. Oh, great. And our, uh, we have a couple of farmer's markets. Our main one, the Capital City Farmer's Market, does, in fact, run right downtown, uh, fairly close, about a block away from the Capitol as well. What's the biggest surprise for people who've never been to Boise before? If you were inviting somebody to visit you, what's the first thing you go, I had no idea? Um, I think people don't realize how much there is to do here, how much sort of a little city it is, while it's also rural and remote and super outdoorsy. I think that people don't realize that within a very short period of time, like maybe 10 minutes, you can be in a national forest and camping and hiking. Uh, but we also have great amenities like, uh, you know, fantastic museums and farmers markets and architectural history and tours as well. Plus, you can use Boise as a hub and do day trips. Exactly. And then that's when the antiquing comes in. Right. Right? Yes, we have a lot of um, great, fairly inexpensive um, flea markets and uh, antique stores and thrift stores, which uh, is a great treat for people that come from out of town or other places like New York or Los Angeles where that, how hobby can be very expensive. Oh, it could be an expensive hobby anywhere. By the way, the proof positive about how cool Boise is is our engineer here today, Jason, moved here from Wisconsin. Oh, wow. How about that? That's great. We have a lot of transplants from the Midwest, I think. I myself moved here from Minneapolis, so. 
this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. My next guest uh, I look forward to meeting because we share one thing in common, although he's a total professional. Uh, he's the fire chief here in Boise, Dennis Doan. Hello, sir. How are you? Thank you, you for know, calling I, me a professional. I, I, it's very nice of you. Well, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for returning the compliment. <laughs> every time I go somewhere, and I, I say this every show, mm-hmm. right, the very first place I want to stop is the firehouse because you guys have been in everybody's house. You've been in everybody's hotel. You've been in everybody's restaurant. You know where to go, mm-hmm. and you also know where not to go. What I said earlier in the show, you know, Boise reminds me so much of a place I spent a considerable amount of time in one of the cities I love the most, Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You're the capital of the state. The state legislature's here. The capital is, the building is here. You've got a, a football team that's almost as good as Wisconsin. <laughs> I, I can say, I, and I think I'll, sometimes you're better. Sometimes. I know. Yeah. I, I still have to figure out the Smurf turf. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to get used to that color of the field. Have you seen it yet? Uh, no, I yeah. have to go over there and see it. Uh, but what's interesting about it is, it's still a very manageable city. Mm-hmm. And yet, you've got some challenges. We do. It's uh, one of the safest cities in, in the country, and uh, I love it. It is beautiful. We, Like you said, it's a college town and a capital, state capital, and uh, <clears throat> it is a beautiful city, and I'm so blessed to be the fire chief in the greatest city in the nation. And yet, every city has their own challenges in terms mm-hmm. of safety, mm-hmm. security. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your biggest? Because, you know, you, you go to California right now, mm-hmm. you've got a serious drought problem. Yeah. And you know what that means? Fires mm-hmm. get even worse. Yeah. I'd say uh, we have a couple challenges. Uh, number one is wildland-urban interface fires. You know, we uh, are built right here in the foothills, uh, similar to Southern California. And uh, uh, we had we have uh, wildland-urban interface fires, and, and we lost 20 homes just a, a few years ago and, and some loss of life. And, and uh that is a challenge. May, letting growth happen in a smart way uh, and a safe way and uh, protecting our citizens when we have those wildland urban interface fires. It's called wind. Yeah. That night, that day we lost 20 homes. We had 50 mile an hour winds. And, uh, and when you have a 50 mile an hour wind, that means the fire could be moving as fi- fast as four or five miles an hour. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. The, the flames were laying from one house across the street, hitting the houses across the street and catching, auto-igniting them and catching the next house. It was amazing. And how do you outrun that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, we, uh, our firefighters are heroes, and they laid in the streets, literally, and put water on the fire and, and saved people in their, their homes, and they did a great job. Now, one of the things about firefighters we know is that you know where to go, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. I have to ask you the most important question here in Boise. Where do you go like, what do you like to eat? Uh, that's not necessarily in the brochure. That's not mm-hmm. necessarily in the guidebook. Mm-hmm. It could be the biggest dive in the, in, in the whole <laughs> town, but that's great. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of places. You want just one? I'll start with one. We'll keep All going. All right. Well, we li- we have the Basque Block across the street. How can you not go to Barganinka? How can you uh, not go to Leogono? Um, awesome places. And, and I don't know if you know, we have a large Basque community here. In As Boise. they do in northern Nevada, too. Yeah. 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 Um, this is the largest one outside of the Basque country in the world. And uh, so I, I love that. And so what food. do you order there on the menu? Oh, there's lamb is, is always excellent. So I, I like to order some lamb sandwiches, but it's a, it's a great place. I love the patios here in Boise. All of our bars and restaurants have incredible patios to the streets, and you can ride our bikes to them. Uh, just this weekend, I jumped on the bike, and we hit, uh, we hit some breweries and, and had a beers on the, uh, on the patio and, and moved on and some lunch. And now, you have to watch out about BUI, biking under the influence. Well, that's true. I had one and then uh, <laughs> timed it uh, for an hour before I had my second one. <laughs> so basically, you were there all day. Well, you know, you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. <laughs> Spoken like the fire chief I know in my, in my department. Um, all right, so that's there are a couple of restaurants there. Mm-hmm. Where else? What's what's a place that's really not in the brochure? Um, you know, again, I like the the patios. So so there's uh, Matador right downtown. Red Feather, I love it because they really shop local. They are focused on buying everything local. Uh, Everything on their menu, they don't want to ship from out of town. And, and I really like that and the sustainability about that at Red Feather and Bitter Creek. Now, this is not starting to talk like Madison, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. It's the exact same approach. I love yeah. it. 
Yeah, uh-huh. and that's why I love those two places, and they have a beautiful patio again, and and uh, I love their breakfast. And, and another breakfast that is uh, you can't miss is Goldie's. Uh, it's a great breakfast there. And, and the signature item on that menu? Oh, gosh, I like their potatoes. They're really good. <laughs> and, you know, we're here in Idaho, so why, why wouldn't you like their hash browns? Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Earlier in the show, we talked about ballet in Boise. Well, you can't talk about Boise or Idaho without talking about the Idaho Shakespeare Festival. And joining me here, the managing director of that festival, Mark Hufflin. Mark, you've been doing this for what? You've been in the company for like 23 years. Yes, sir. So they haven't found out? No. Okay. They haven't gotten rid of me yet. <laughs> I'm keeping my fingers crossed for another. You know, we know we have Shakespeare in the Park in New York. That's a big deal. Yes. Um, and bigger than most people would expect. I mean, you, they fill Central Park. It's yes. unreal, right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, when I was going to school, I'm talking about elementary and junior high school, you know, we would, because we were in New York, you know, we were exposed to all of that. Um, and you know, not everybody does that, you know, and, and so it's great when you have that. What brings people here? What brings people here to the Idaho Shakespeare Festival? Yeah. They literally live in Boise, so they come. This is what they do during the summer. It's part of it's a ritual. It is. It is. About twenty percent of the population base comes to this theater every summer, and that's and outrageous. To sustain a regional theater, you usually need at least one percent. So people can't believe what's going on here, and it, it is the whole cross section of the community. I mean, it's an organization that's been around for almost 40 years. Yes. Right? And you must get, at this point, because of the reputation of it, because of its sustainability, and because of the sheer numbers of the people who are coming, I bet you get some pretty good artists who are coming in as, as guest stars. Well, we do. Our artistic director, Charles Fee, has a national reputation, and he is now taking this company into other venues, specifically Cleveland. We have a partnership with Cleveland going on 15 years now. So now you're branding. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Small companies that don't have year-round schedules need to collaborate to save the resources that are that are expended in production. We're a small manufacturing company. We manufacture scenery, costumes, sets, all of it. And if we can use it for two uh, venues instead of one, we both get the benefit. And what's your season? The season here in Boise is yeah. five plays, four of which are in repertory, I mean rotating uh, uh, several times a week that you will see these shows. Right. And the first two come to us from Cleveland. We then put two more into the repertory. And, and they, them, oh, and yeah, they exactly. It. They will open the season in Cleveland. This year it will be Secret Garden and King Lear. Wow. And that's our repertory. King Lear starring LeBron James. <laughs> well, you know we're watching. Yeah, we are, aren't we? We're yeah, cheering. I bet you are. We yeah. want those Cleveland, our Cleveland colleagues to be celebrating by the end of the next week. Well, either way, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in these games, you have to admit you're watching the two best teams. Yes, it's just, yes. It's just not, it's not yes. arguable. Yes, yeah. yes, no. Yeah, no. And, and one guy can make a difference going back to his hometown. And this is what Charlie has, has been doing locally with these companies. He went and saved a company in, in Lake Tahoe. Beautiful venue, up on the lake, North Shore. They were on their knees, just as we were in Idaho when he came here, and just as Great Lakes was in Cleveland. But when you think about it, whether it's ballet or Shakespeare or opera, yeah. you're always hand-to-mouth when it comes to budget. I mean, that's, that's been the traditional, uh, I should say, model, which is not one you really want to follow, but that's almost a trap. It's absolutely true. And if you want to spend another 10 minutes, I can talk, you, talk to you about capitalization models. They're boring as hell, but you need them now. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that information. We're moving on. <laughs> uh, but what got you here? I was on a, a, a drive up from, I was working at the Old Globes Theater in San Diego, my home theater. And, uh, and that goes back many years. It does, it does. It's, it's one of the oldest companies in the country, and it has a, a, a stunning history of serving the whole country, frankly. Right, right, right. Uh, 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 I, I, my fiance and I were driving up to Ashland, the other great 
Theodore and it Oregon, dates of back to 1935. Both of these companies started in 1935. And people don't realize that they, you know, the history goes back that far. Absolutely. Yeah. They were trying to recreate Shakespeare's stage in the United States somewhere. They didn't know what it looked like. Now you can go to London and you can see what it looks like. Sure. But, but well, in those know, days, they and, were experimenting. And that's Kevin Spacey time. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the the Americans have have had a, a long time investment, and we don't really know why, except that they settled the West with two books, the complete works and the greatest story ever told. <laughs> so, with those two books, Shakespeare what has always been in the American iconography, in in, in ways that are stunning oh, to the Brits. So of course, they don't understand why this is so. So let's go back to the story. You're driving with your fiance, and and we're in Ashland, Oregon. We've gone up Highway One, and we're trying to figure out how we as can, you would do as we would do yes. exactly how to get home. And I said, I have a friend who's just gone to Idaho. I think it's somewhere up around this area. <laughs> let's go home through Idaho. Speaking like a true American who has no idea of geography. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. My wife had a, was renting an apartment in New York still. We, she just knew it was west of the Hudson. <laughs> yes, That's what she yes. knew. Yeah. Her friends in New York still don't know why she ended up in Iowa. <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we you came just over. change trains at 125th Street and hope for the best. That's, That's it. it. That's okay. it. Exactly, yeah, right, right. Peter. You know yeah, it. Yeah. So uh, we, 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 we literally crossed the Cascades, and, and Boise is due north of San Diego. So we made a triangle. I visited. Now, what, now what's playing this summer? So what's playing this summer is we have Dial M for Murder up right now, and Charlie has found this little vein of great classically driven uh, thrillers. Well constructed. He's doing one a year now, and the audiences are flocking to him in Cleveland and Boise. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. My next guest, an author, a journalist for the Idaho Statesman, a paper I used to subscribe to. I'll explain that later. Um, and author of Scorched Earth, How the Fires of Yellowstone Changed America, Rocky Barker. How are you, man? Yeah, great. So you want to know why I used to subscribe to the Yeah, Idaho? yeah. Uh, well, I was the Newsweek uh, uh, correspondent on the West Coast based in San Francisco, and I had everything west of the, the Mississippi on the, in, the, in, the, in the west and the northwest. So, of course, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Wyoming— Montana, and I would get every day the Idaho Statesman. I'd get I'd get the paper from Laramie. I'd get the paper, you name it. And what was amazing was that's how I got to go to Idaho because I'd find stories that even the folks in Idaho didn't think were that important, but they were in the paper, and I'd come and cover them. So I've been coming to Idaho for more years than you care to remember, but it's always great to be back. But you've got the history down. Well, Idaho's a great state. It's got I've been here now thirty years, uh, and. You know, so I've kind of watched this state go from a uh, old logging and mining state to a high tech state. It's really been an interesting uh, ride, and at the same time, preserving the environment. That's right, and and that's a really uh, it's a challenge. Of course, it always is. But Idaho has one heck of an environment to preserve. We've, you know, I, I always tell people that I walk if you walk north out of the Boy, out of Boise here into the foothills, and if you wanted to and you kept going 400 miles, you could cross as few as nine roads between here and Canada. Wow. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, it's very wild. That Particularly central Idaho, there's about 22, uh, mil, you know, 22 million acres in that central Idaho area that's either roadless or wilderness, and, and those acres, you know, that's, a, that's as big as Indiana. So basically what you're telling me is that if I want to dispose a body, <laughs> I got options here. Well, actually, yeah. there's a there's actually a place lawyers would tell you where to go if you were going <laughs> to commit a murder in Idaho, and that's there's a stretch of Yellowstone National Park that's in Idaho, and because it's in a different uh, federal judgeship area, you they argue that you they can't get a jury. You see now. In the travel and tourism business, they're always talking about how to segment your market. You just segmented it in a way that nobody experienced. I mean, nobody expected, right? Right. Wow. 
attention would-be murderers have we got a place for you right <laughs> yeah, yeah i but idaho really is there's just so much wild country yeah but then you know there's this juxtaposition with this great uh, urban community that's really grown up there were only about seventy-five thousand people when i first moved to idaho in 85 here in boise and today we've got two hundred thousand. it is a absolutely great city to live in but even though you triple essentially triple the population you don't feel it no and that's there it's there's a lot of strokes of luck that get you there one was uh, they the planners all wanted the factories to be in one place well J.R. Simplot the old uh, uh, millionaire potato farmer that uh, built a lot of this state he he wanted to put micron with micron technology which is a, a big chip maker he didn't want to put it where all the planners he put it on the other side of town so it's spread out the traffic and so we don't have big traffic jams we have it's, well it's except that there's a football game yes, yes. indeed and uh, on uh on, you know i, I want to say on saturday afternoons except boise play you play boise, at night you guys play you know, at night a lot. we play a lot at night because yeah. we're you know trying to get on espn and you, well listen you got a good enough team you are on espn what are you talking and about that's right that's right and, but if you're on the east coast trying to watch a, a boise state game you're staying up late that's right we're, we play you know we start games here uh, at like nine o'clock, uh, our time. So what you're basically saying to me, Rocky, is that there's a little bit of an all-day drinking thing going on prior to the game. I'm telling you, they put on a pretty good party out there. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I, I said this earlier in the show. I, I'm still trying to get over the Smurf turf, though. We love our turf. Uh, it, it really, it's you know, it's funny because that's now how most people know Boise. They know they either know the turf. Oh no, you've branded it perfectly because if I'm if I'm not paying attention to who's playing in a game. And I switch the channel. I realize it's not my TV that's making a mistake. That's Boise State. That's right. And then, <laughs> and then you stay and you watch the game because it's usually good. Oh, you have a good team. That's true. Well, let's talk a little bit about history here because you're the author of a book called Scorched Earth, How the Fires of Yellowstone Changed America. My, my book is a history that, of Yellowstone National Park, and I covered the 1988 fires, which I, I don't know if you remember. They were huge. And, and those fires really were the beginning of what has been a lot of huge fires of the West in the last 20 years. But it also was the fire that it was fire all the way back in uh, 1886 that convinced the Army they had, or uh, Phil Sheridan, General Phil Sheridan, hero of World War II, or, I mean, I'm sorry, of the Civil War, sent in the Army uh, when uh, Congress had cut all funding to Yellowstone. First order of his, uh, of his lieutenant was start fighting fires. And that started the federal government's fighting fires. They did so well in Yellowstone and other national parks that we have 600 million acres of public land out here in the West. That they were able to save. Yeah, and that they've then we've been fighting fires ever since. But beginning in 1988, we've had in part because of climate change, but also because our forests are pretty, we stopped fighting fires for about 100 years. And so we have some pretty, uh, uh, a lot of tinder, uh, and it's really dry now. And so... We've got a lot. We've had lots of big fires over the last 20 years. In fact, that was the story I wrote this week. I think it's it was something like 548,000 acres annually burn in Idaho. So basically, you can almost count on that now. Yeah, that's normal now. Is that we're going to have big fires, and that means we're going to have smoke in some parts of it, and uh, uh, and we just have learned we're learning in Idaho to adjust to that. In a way, and it's somewhat ironic that that halts your expansion, doesn't it? Well, it does. And, it, you know, it, it halts our expansion into the woods. It doesn't necessarily halt our expansion in, uh, uh, in the urban area. But, it, in the, you know, we, if, if you try to keep moving people out into those forests, uh, they're going to have to expect that someday their houses may burn. Yeah, it's called try getting an insurance policy. Exactly. And right. now they're, you know, the insurance companies for years didn't really care because it wasn't a big deal, but there have been so many fires in the West over the last 20 years that now the insurance companies are getting serious about it, too. And they're basically either giving you ridiculously high deductibles or it's tough to get a policy. That's right. Or and it, But then over in Ketchum, when we had a big fire a few years ago, uh, the insurance companies were sending fire trucks of their own because they were pretty big, expensive houses that they had policies on. Wait a second. The insurance companies have their own fire departments? Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, and they send them to the rich communities of the West, like Ketchum and Sun Valley. Now, there's a story. That's a completely separate story I want to cover. An insurance company that has their own fire department. Yeah, they hire, I think they're contractors, but they, 
you know, they, they I, I can't remember the name of the company, but they actually had uh, advertised on their uh, trucks so that other people in the neighborhood could say, hey, you want to have this guy sitting here by your house? Uh, uh, buy our insurance. Well, you know, there are certain companies, there are certain uh, separate private fire departments, one in Arizona, that you, you subscribe to them. And you better pay your bill. Because all of a sudden, if there's an alarm at your place and you haven't paid, they might just be a little late. They're coming. Well, you know, and so fire's kind of a way of life in, in here. But it isn't, you know, this year uh, uh, we've, we've had a pretty uh, rainy spring. So that's good. Yeah. So it puts off the season. We didn't have a lot of snow this year. Rocky, stay with me for a second because when we come back, I want to talk about the surprises that have happened in all the years that you've been here things that people don't really know about, okay? But that you know about. Sure. And then you can tell me about it, and then I can tell everybody else about it. You with me on that? Oh, you bet it. Okay. Back with more of Peter Greenberg Worldwide from Boise, Idaho, when we return right after this. We've been speaking with Rocky Barker. He writes for the Idaho Statesman, formerly a paper I used to subscribe to. I have to keep saying that. And happy to know that there still is a newspaper, by the way, and the author of Scorched Earth, How the Fires of Yellowstone Changed America. Other than the inevitable fire season that you have and uh, that the West continues to have in, in, in greater numbers, if you will, but for people who have not been to Boise before, right, We're coming there for the first time, coming to see you, they're visiting you, what's the one thing you're going to show them that's going to make them go, I had no idea? Wow, I show people... Uh one place I show, I take them right away to the foothills because you can walk up. Well, because you can dump a body there. You told me. Well, uh, no, no, you got to uh, go all the way I, I, to Yellowstone I'll, I'll, to do that. And you hold it. And you would know that because I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't think a lot of people know that you there are you can go even in the even in the dead of summer when it's really hot. There are places up in the foothills uh, along some of the creeks, uh, Dry Creek and others that you can walk up into into a nice cool. Uh, morning hikes, and I really like those kind of things uh, right outside of town. I mean, the thing that Boise has is this right outside of town. Most people go all over Idaho to fly fish. Right through the middle of town is some of the best fly fishing in the state. Okay, so are you a fly fisherman? I am. I wrote okay. the Fly Fisher's Guide to Idaho. Excuse so. me. So then I have to ask you this question, because I'm a terrible fly fisherman. I mean, I, I hook trees. I mean, forget it. But I'm an East Coast guy, right? So when I grew up in New York and I went out there fishing, my approach was that if you caught it, it was dinner, right? right. I, I wasn't a real catch and release guy, right? Because you worked that hard for the fish, it's dinner. Yep. Is it everything here catch and release? No, no. I mean, there's, you know, in the Boise River, for instance, uh, they stock fish too, and those stock, and so they allow you to keep those. What kind of fish are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about rainbow trout. Nice. Yeah, and they've got brook, they've got brown trout, and they also um, put in the spring and in the fall, they put steelhead and salmon that they catch at the uh, uh, Hell's Canyon Dam, and they put them in trucks and haul them up here because before the dams, they used to swim in the Boise River. And so we get to keep those, too. Uh, you, you go into the river, and you can be fishing for a 30-inch uh, long uh, salmon. And, and I see it. It's all, all the time. Some little kids out there fishing for uh, right in a town. Right, right, right in, in town. town. Right by Boise State. And you know, uh, you know where else they do that? In Anchorage. Really? Right under a bridge there. They don't, they're not going out anywhere. They're just right there. And at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's a restaurant there called The Bridge in Anchorage. Right? And it's actually on a bridge. But they've got glass floors. So the chefs look down. And if you catch something, they come down and get it and they cook it for you. Nice deal. Nice deal. And yeah. they can do the same thing here. I, they should try that. But uh, we've got, actually, there's some pretty good uh, uh, seafood restaurants with good uh, Alaskan salmon right now. <laughs> Alaskan salmon. Oh, you bet. Now, Idaho, we're, our rivers are full of salmon right now. And right. you can go out and catch. And there, and I, have, I haven't yet this year, but uh, I've gone out, caught some Put them right on the grill. They're fantastic. Uh, it's if you get them early enough before spawning, and they're really good. Now you t you said some really good seafood restaurants. So let's go off the brochure. Where do you hang out? It's not in the brochure that you would recommend me to go. Well, I hang out at a place. I live in Southeast Boise, so I go to a place called uh, the Tavern at Bound Crossing, and they've got some you know pretty good seafood. Um, Lucky Finn's right uh, very near uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, center in the Grove uh, is a pretty good restaurant uh, uh, for, for seafood. I, I also hang out. 
Boise is Here it comes. Here it comes. Go ahead. But Boise's a great... uh, beer pub town. I, see, I knew you were going there. Okay. So, I, and so we've got a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, downtown there's Ten Barrel. Uh, there's Highlands Hollow. Uh, there is, uh, I go to a place called Beer 30 that isn't a pub, but it's got lots of beers and it's in my neighborhood. So basically what you're telling me is you're hanging out there a lot. I do. I guess, you know, what can I say? And just, if you look at me, you'll notice I've got a little, I've got a nice round beer. You've bar. been sampling. Yes, that's right. Yeah, a little sampling. Lots of sampling. Okay, so. But in terms of local brews, not just just beers on tap, but I mean local brews, what would you say is the, the one that you would recommend? Um, I like Payette, uh, and this is locally done. Locally done. I like Sockeye, uh, and I like I like you know I'm a, so you have a little Sockeye with your salmon. Yeah, there you go. You'll do a little beer pairing. Yes, and this <laughs> I mean I frankly I like them all because I mean, no, you think? Yeah, I mean I haven't found one I don't like, but uh, keep trying. Uh, but. Payette's our big one, uh, but there's lots of littler ones. Boise, just uh, just around the corner here, is a, a nice little brew pub, and uh, there's a couple of them right along the uh, uh, connector. You can be sitting there and watching the uh, evening traffic go home, and it's <laughs> it's not your typical. Uh, I'm getting very fair. worried about you, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Rocky? He's watching traffic again. Yeah, <laughs> as long as I don't try to catch it, you know. <laughs> and. You mentioned the seafood places. Anything else? Well, you know, downtown has a lot of good restaurants. Fork is a place that uh, I always make reservations for. There are uh, uh, the Matador. You know, I, I like, and of course, there's great um, Bardenay. We've got a lot of Basque. You know, yeah. You're going to probably hear some about oh, our Basque. Hear, listen, the fire chief was on earlier. All he talked about was Matador. You yeah, know? yeah. He loves it, right? Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. He's been watching traffic, too. I'm worried about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Check the 171, contact departure. Contact departure, Idle Base, go 1971 a little bit about this because along with that culture, along with that population comes history. And along comes that is the preservation of that history. Patty Miller is the executive director of the Basque Museum and Cultural Center. Hello, Patty. Hello, Peter. So the estimate I hear is like 15,000? That's that's an estimated number. Nobody knows, right? It's it's pretty hard to determine. My last name is Miller, so I, I can't stay name. under the radar <laughs> with that one. Exactly. Well, how did they settle here first? Well, the the initial ones started coming for job opportunities. We have a huge amount of open range land, and the Scots and the Englishmen were bringing herds of animals, uh, sheep out here. They needed workers, and they found this wonderful work source. So basically, while the Chinese were building the railroads, the Basques were, she- were, were the shepherds. They were helping with the sheep. In 1900, there were 3 million sheep in our state. Today, we have about 1.5 million people. Wow. Where'd the sheep go? <laughs> There's been a, a big decrease in the number of sheep, that's for sure. That's so. But they stayed. They did. They did. They, they continued that work. Women started coming to work in boarding houses, and we've been doing work on identifying boarding houses in Boise. There were, we've identified over 50 of them, over from, from the late 1800s to 1970. You know, recently I was up in Basque Country in Spain um, and sampling the Rioja, as we know. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then you go down south, and of course now you're in olive oil territory. But but what's interesting is that they've obviously maintained the culture there because that's their home, right? Mm-hmm. How do you maintain the culture here? Well, one of the secrets in Boise has been um, places to gather. So where they, they had to, they would meet in places and pay 25 cents to have dance practice in the late 40s. And then they said, no, we need to build a, a gathering place. So they built a bass center that's just a block away from where we're talking right now in an area that we call the Bass Block in Boise. And uh, so they did that, and they, they kept teaching dancing. And that has been one secret to Boise's success because 150 kids starting age four 
they start out with dancing and they continue on and, and keep helping to preserve the culture. Now, on that Basque block, you've got two Basque restaurants, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and a market. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. What do I order? Mm, it's one of my favorite things. There's Salomo. It's a marinated pork loin. It has uh, sweet red pepper and garlic on the outside and fried, and it has uh, sweet red peppers on top. So that's, that is traditional. That, that's, yep, that's something that you would find in the Basque country and you'll find on the Basque block. Okay, that's one. Give me one more. Well, the Basque market on, uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays, they cook up a large paella. And paella you can find throughout uh, the Iberian Peninsula. But in the Basque country, they eat it too. And they'll cook it at the market right outside. Everybody can watch. And okay, they, but what's in it? They'll put uh, seafood in it. So there'll always be shrimp, clams, mussels, chicken, chorizo. And of course, Idaho is known for their shrimp, clams, and mussels. <laughs> Sure. So they have. So somebody's got to fly that in. Sure. Yeah. yeah. They bring it in. They bring it in fresh and cook it right out on the street for people to eat. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what about the language? That is the most unique thing about the Basque. The Basque call themselves Euskaldunak, those who have Euskera. And if you were to look on a linguistic chart of all languages in the world, Euskera would be put on the side. They're not sure how it fits in. It's not an Indo-European language, and it's probably one of the older languages that has continued. But uh, is somebody still teaching it? Are they still handing it down? Sure, sure. We have, uh, that's been one of the priorities of the museum. We have a, a preschool that we have maintained since 1998. That's for three to five-year-olds. and then we So have... you're graduating from preschool some bilingual kids. <laughs> we are, and many of them are not of Basque descent. Wow. Mm-hmm. They just came for the paella. <laughs> <laughs> and the fun of the culture. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now is somebody who knows a little bit about this state. He's the author of a number of books, The Boise Trail Guide, uh, Mountain Biking, and a few others. His name, Steve Stubner. How are you, man? Doing great. How long have you been in Idaho? About 30 years. All right. And the Witness Protection Program working for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I know of I got lots you. of I... rocks to hide under. <laughs> what brought you here? I came here to work for the, the Idaho Statesman from Colorado. Uh, as environmental reporter at the time. Well, what a great place to be for that. Yeah, yeah, it was dream come true. What's the biggest challenge, speaking of the environment here in Idaho? Because you've got such great beauty. You also have people who just, you know, there's a, all sorts of development and expansion. Take a look at Boise. When I first came to Boise, you maybe had 50,000 people here. Mm-hmm. Now it's, what, close to 300,000. At least. Yeah. I think the valley population's half a million in that neighborhood. And yet, when you come into the city, you don't feel it. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a surprise for me. You don't <clears throat> feel that it's that many people, which means that they figured out a way to manage it. I'd say it's not a problem, but more of a success story in planning, in advanced planning. And it started with the Boise River Greenbelt back in 1962. Some California consultants came to Boise and said, you're turning your back on your most important asset, and that's the Boise River. You should build a pathway along that thing, and, and that's been done. And here we go. We're hiking now. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just an incredible resource. goes for about 25 miles from end to end. And You know, we did a piece on CBS a couple of weeks ago where I talked about rails to trails. All the 22,000 miles of abandoned rail lines in this country that have been converted successfully to hiking and biking trails. It's a huge and, deal. And you got it here. Yeah. Part of the green belt is rails to trails. It is. And then we have the foothills right here. You know, five minutes from the capital, you can be hiking trail running, uh, mountain biking, right, right so, up there. So I've got to ask you as the hiking expert here, what's your great secret hike? Oh, God. Up in central Idaho. Tell me more. <laughs> White Cloud Mountains are probably my favorite. Why? Just it's a little bit more off the beaten path, and it's absolutely world-class scenery, and it's actually a place where you can go backpacking or mountain biking right now. And for people who come here for the first time, what do you tell them about knowing what they can and should do in terms of hiking sky's the limit 
you know, it's just world-class place. You can just go and go. I mean, from the green belt, start low. I've got 90 routes in my Boise trail guide. I mean, it's going to keep 90. You, 90. It's going to keep you busy for a couple years. No kidding. But most places couldn't have 90 routes because they wouldn't have that many close to, close to home. Well, if you use Boise just as your hub and you branch out, you know, hub and spoke, there's your answer right there. You can do it. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, you just draw the circle wider and you get into what I call second paycheck land in central Idaho where you have the world-class whitewater rivers. You can do week-long river trips. You can go backpacking in the sawtooth and the white clouds. And, I mean, you know, the mountains go all the way to Canada. I mean, it's a phenomenal place. Now, most people when they travel, they, they still make the mistake of thinking they should be seasonal travelers. I, I, I don't think there should be seasons at all. I'm a contrarian traveler. I, I want to go in the off-season. Well, yeah, and, and you're smart about that because then you kind of have more of the place to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And they can't find the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I keep coming back to that. Hey, you call Boise the best base camp in America. Explain that. Just because of the plethora of activities that you can do so close to home, there's just no other place like it, you know, in terms of the hiking, biking, trail running, uh, whitewater boating, you know, there's golf and, you know, all the city-type uh, amenities as well. Um, but as you draw that circle wider around Boise, you know, you have this great desert lands out to the south. They call it the Sagebrush Sea. And some... yeah, you see, people don't believe there's desert, but there is. Yeah, it's, it's a cool desert, but um, I've got a guidebook for that area, and it's just been flying off the shelf. People are fascinated by it. They're scared of it. They're Steve not Schilling sure. Steve tells me you've got a guidebook for everything. Right? <laughs> I've been here for 30 years, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to do it. But you mentioned the desert, and I'm, I'm fascinated by that because people don't realize there's a desert in Oregon, too. Yeah, and it's actually part of the same river system, the Waihee River system, and it's just these elaborate canyon lands, and it's not as spectacular as southern Utah, but when you get down inside those canyons, it feels very similar. And what's the biggest challenge? With? The environment. I just... You know, it's one thing to have continue the to take care of it. It's, yeah, it's one thing to have the trails. Then you got to make sure you preserve them. I mean, one of the proudest things I did was back in 2001 being involved in an open space levy where we passed a 10 million uh, measure to protect open space in the foothills. That's why when you come into Boise, you don't see a lot of homes all over the foothills. The city made a choice, and we're protecting as much open space up there as possible. Now there's another measure on the ballot coming up in November. The city council just passed it last night. So the, the fund's about dry. We need to re-up. So these are the kinds of things that I think we need to continue to do to shape the community. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.